Okay, so I'm um, talking about Matthew, like Mike said. So uh, might be a simple question, but who wrote Matthew? Um, obviously Matthew, but this is not something that is very clear or it's not mentioned in the actual book, but um, historically speaking, it's always been accepted that Matthew was the one who wrote it. Um, and that's what I accept as well. That's what's written in our Bibles. Um, when was the book written? So obviously the events of the book happened 2000 years ago. And um, as Mike said, the, the book, the books were written about 20 or so years after the end of, um, after the, the death and resurrection of the Lord. And this particular book, um, my understanding is it's about 30 years after that happened. So the reason why it's important that there was such little gap between the events and the writing down of these events, um, it really shows us that um, this is a first-hand account. This is someone who was an eyewitness. This was not um, a story that was handed down generation to generation and exaggerated in any way. These were facts seen um, by a person and recorded um, exactly as they happened. Who did Matthew write to? So Matthew was writing to the Jews and his aim in writing to the Jews was to show them that the Lord Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the one who had been prophesied about in the Old Testament. So if we wanted to break down the book, um, I'm going to break it down into two sections, two sections first and then into seven sections. So if we wanted to break it down into two sections, we can take chapters one to chapter 12. Um, and we can put a title on that saying the arrival of the king and his message. Um, and we can read a key verse from this section. If we go to Matthew 12. And I will read verse 28. So here the Lord Jesus is speaking and he says, but if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So yeah, he is showing to them that the kingdom of God has come to, to them. The second section is obviously going to be 13 till the end, till chapter 28. And a title for that section can be the rejection, suffering, death and resurrection of the king. And um, key verse for that can be Matthew 21 and verse 42. It says, Jesus says unto them, did you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. That is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So yeah, here we see um, that um, the Lord Jesus was rejected. Um, now, if we wanted to break it down into seven sections, so a bit more detailed, um, I'm going to do five main sections with an introduction and a conclusion. So chapters one to three, we can see the introduction. We have the genealogy, the birth and the baptism of the Lord Jesus. And then the five main sections. So each of these sections has a, a portion of the Lord Jesus teaching. Um, so the first of these five is chapters four to seven. Um, and in this section, uh, we have chapters five, six and seven, um, where the Lord Jesus speaks on the Mount, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and here we see the introduction to the kingdom of heaven. Um, the second uh, main section, we have chapters 8, 9, and 10. And in chapter 10, we have um, the Lord Jesus instructing his disciples um, before he sends them out. 
The third main section is chapters 11 to 13. And in chapter 13, we see parables about the kingdom of heaven. The fourth section is um, chapter 14 to 20. And in uh, chapters 18, 19, and 20, we can see teaching about the behavior of those in the kingdom. And then the last main section is chapters 21 to 25. And um, the, the teaching section is chapters 23 to 25. Um, and here we see a critique of the Pharisees and teachings on the end times. And then finally, the conclusion of the book in the last three chapters, 26 to 28, we see the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So I want to move on to some themes that are in this book, because um, it's really the best way to unlock the message of the book um, and to be able to read it and understand it the best way. So the first one that I wanted to speak about is um, the Messiah. So Messiah meaning the, the prophesied about king who will... Um, give victory to his people, and that is, of course, the Lord Jesus. And Matthew is trying to communicate that to his readers from the very start. So if you read Matthew 1.1, it says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. So the son of David um, uh, was going to be the Messiah, and Matthew here is making that link so it is clear to his people. Um, and also, we've talked about um, how the Lord Jesus was king and king by right through Joseph and king by birth through Mary, as we said last week. And then if we keep moving to chapter two, in verse two, um, the wise men are speaking. They say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and I come to worship him. So this here, this description of the Lord Jesus when he was a child is unique to the book of Matthew. He is described as the king of the Jews, even though he was a little child. Um, and also later on in the chapter, um, we see that the wise men gave gifts to the Lord Jesus. And this is, again, unique to the book of Matthew to really highlight that he was the king. Um, I want to look at some of the miracles the Lord Jesus did um, because they really highlight this message of how he is the king. So if we go to chapter 8, and um, I'm going to read three different miracles. And um, so the first one is from verse 23. So Matthew 8, 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he says unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Um, now I'm going to compare that to a verse in Joel, chapter 3, and verse um, 18. And it says, and it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. So we see here in these two corresponding passages how the king will have control over the elements and how the Lord Jesus calmed the winds and the sea and 
how that was spoken of in the Old Testament. If we read then the next section in Matthew 8, the very next miracle that the Lord did. So Matthew 8, 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of Gergesens, where there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by the way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before, before the time? And there was a good way off from them, a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. Um, So here in this section, we see that the Lord Jesus had authority over um, Satan, and um, he had power over him. And again, we're going to read from Zechariah. So Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 2. Says, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. So again, here we see the correspondence between the Old Testament and the New and shows how the Lord Jesus was king. And then finally, the third um, miracle. So starting from chapter 9. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And um, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 33. So Isaiah 33 and verse 24, and it says, And the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. So forgiven and healed. And again, this shows us how the Lord Jesus was king. Finally, I'm just going to read a little section from um, Matthew 11 and verse 2. So it says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Um, so, yeah, again, here we see the, the response of the Lord Jesus, that he is speaking of himself as the king, who is the one that is promised. Um Now, if we wanted to divide the book by this theme of the Messiah or the King, we can take the first two chapters and um, with the title, The Person of the King. Chapter 3 to chapter 4, verse 16, we can see the uniqueness of the King. Chapter 4, verse 17 till 9, verse 35, we can see the announcement of the King. Chapter 9, 36 till 16, verse 20, we can see the program or the teachings of the king. And then from chapter 16, verse 21 till the end of chapter 7, we can see the rejection and the death of the king. And finally, chapter 28, we see the victory and the power of the king. 
So moving on to um, the second theme that I wanted to speak about, um, which is the kingdom of heaven. So that is a term that is mentioned um, over 30 times in the book. So it's obviously significant. So the kingdom of heaven is, is not a kingdom of earthly people when they reach heaven, but rather it is a kingdom of heaven bound people um, on earth. So this started with the arrival of the king himself. Um, and it, it basically means um, the values of heaven practiced here on earth in acknowledgement that the Lord Jesus is king. Um, so one thing to know about this term, the kingdom of heaven, is that it's available for all, not just the Jews. Um, so we see, for example, one of the um, miracles in Matthew chapter 8. Um, and if we read verse 10, so this is with the centurion. Um, so he's obviously not a Jew. So verse 10 says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Um, and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So yeah, we see here that it is um, an invitation to all. It is no longer just limited to the Jews, but everyone is welcome to come. Again, we also see that Matthew wanted to highlight this from the very start. Um, so um, reading from verse one again of chapter one, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So here we see the son of Abraham, and this is a reminder of the blessing um, that God spoke to Abraham and told him that his descendants will be a blessing to all nations. So the Lord Jesus was the promised king as the son of David, and he was the one that was going to bless all nations as the son of Abraham. Um, and then I'm going to read. So that was the start of the book. I'm going to now read the last verses of the book. So if we go to Matthew 28, and I'm going to read from uh, verse 19. The Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So yeah, again, we see that it is an invitation to all, that the Lord Jesus came to all and not just to the, um, the Jews. Um, one last division of the book, um, and we're going to go by this theme of the kingdom of heaven. So in chapters 1 to chapter 7, we see the announcement of the king and his kingdom. Chapters 8, 9, and 10, we see the kingdom in action. Chapters 11 till 13, we see the responses of the messages of the kingdom. Chapters 14 to 20, the behavior of those in the kingdom. And then finally, chapters 21 to 28, a clash of kingdoms. So um, just moving on to um, another theme that I wanted to speak about, which is um, how the Lord Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So I think there are over 60 references to the Old Testament in the book of Matthew. Um, and the, the reason why Matthew is doing this is to show how the Lord Jesus fits perfectly into the, the God-inspired words that the Jews had followed. Um, so it is the completion of what they believe in rather than a new religion for them to follow. Um, and so this is usually shown um, in a verse that will say something like, 
so that it may be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Um, and in just the first three chapters, those introductory chapters, we have five of those mentions to old prophecies. We also see in chapter four that the Lord Jesus used Old Testament scripture to um, defeat Satan when he came to tempt him. And um, I'm going to read a verse from Matthew 5. Um, so the Lord Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy it, but to fulfill. And then um, following on in that Sermon on the Mount, you will see the Lord Jesus makes many references to the commandments, and then he expands on them rather than making them void. So, for example, verse um, 21 you have heard that it was said of all time, thou shalt not kill. And then um, again, verse 27, you have heard that it was said of, by them of all time, thou shalt not commit adultery, and so on. Um, finally, I want to talk about one last theme, which was how Matthew portrayed the Lord Jesus as the new Moses. So there are many parallels between Moses and the Lord Jesus, and this is highlighted um, throughout the book, um, and Matthew is highlighting that the Lord Jesus is the new and better Moses. So I'm just going to point out some similarities that um, I uh, picked up on and liked. So, so Moses, uh, as we know, wrote the first five books, and as I have said, there were five main teachings of the Lord in in the book. Um, Moses brought out the Israelites from Egypt. Um, and he took them toward uh, a new land, but he himself did not take them all the way. The Lord Jesus uh, brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, and he one day will complete the work by taking us home. Um, Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, while the Lord Jesus went up the mountain to speak divine teachings and give new commandments. Uh, Moses started the Passover meal, and that was a reminder of victory over Pharaoh, Egypt, and death. Um, uh, sorry, and the death of the Passover lamb, um, while the Lord Jesus started the Lord's Supper or the breaking of bread. And that was a reminder um, of the victory over Satan, sin in the world, and the death of the Lamb of God. Um, Moses initiated a new covenant by sprinkling the blood of the offerings on the people, while the Lord Jesus initiated a new covenant through the shedding of his own blood. Um, and then a final similarity, um, towards the end of his life, Moses tells Joshua and the priests in Deuteronomy 31 to go forth into the promised land, to keep the law, and that God will be with them. And I'm just going to read again the last um, two verses of the book of Matthew to see how the Lord Jesus addresses his disciples at the end. So Matthew 28 uh, I'll start from verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. So that is the same as Moses when he told them to go forth into the promised land. And then he goes on to say, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, so to keep the law. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That God will be with them. Um, finally, I just wanted to share something that I liked from the book. Um, I'll, I'll start it like this. Um, so Matthew is 
uh, is telling us the greatest thing that has ever happened in his life. And rather than sort of starting it in a, um, in a, in a catchy way, he chooses to tell us the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. And for us, reading genealogy can be a bit boring. And so we ask the question, why a genealogy? Why is he starting the book this way? So we have to come to the conclusion that it must be more significant than we, we first realize. Um, and if we take each name of the genealogy and try to understand the story behind each person here, we can see that it tells a story. So these names would have been very familiar to the original audience and they would have understood what Matthew was trying to say by giving this genealogy. And if we do the same, we will learn a lot as well. So I want to give um, just one little thing that um, I liked about the genealogy. So there are, firstly, so that there are women mentioned in this genealogy, which is very um, uncommon in genealogies in the Bible. So this already gives us a hint that the new covenant um, with the Lord Jesus is not just for the Jews. It's not just for the religious um, leaders. It's not for any sort of social class, but it is for all. Um, and again, this is clear in the Sermon on the Mount. But if we um, look at, so um, there are five women mentioned. I'm going to talk about four of them, leaving out um, Mary, the mother of the Lord. So we have Tamar. And if we ask ourselves, what's the story behind her? How did she find herself in this genealogy? We understand that um, it was the sin of her brother that led her to um, be in this genealogy. Then the next woman, Rahab, um, her story was that um, she had faith. And that is why she's in, in this genealogy. Next, we have Ruth, who was a Moabitess. And... Um, the reason why she's in this genealogy is it's by grace. Um, so if we take those three women, we can see that despite sin, um, a, a sinner can come back to God by faith and by grace. And then finally, we have um, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And the story behind that, we all know David's downfall, but here we understand that he who has salvation cannot lose it. So if we just combine those four little things from just four names, we can learn so much. And that is something that we can do with a lot of, um, of this genealogy. Yeah, I hope that was um, easy to follow. And um, yeah, I'll hand it back to Mike if anyone has questions. I do have a statement. Um, it's quite interesting when we look at the Gospels, uh, how the Lord used just these very simple people uh, to write the Gospels about him. Uh, they were eyewitnesses. So Luke says eyewitnesses. So they had to have witnessed the events uh, and they had to have seen the Lord. Um, they may not have personally interacted with the Lord like the other disciples did. We know Two of them were not disciples, but the Lord in his grace used those to write about him. What's more uh, interesting is that the events all had uh, similarities, yet each of these writers, we're talking Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
uh, right from their different perspectives because they present Christ in you know one different angle, but they all agree that he's the son of God. You know, whether he's man, whether he's king, whether he's a servant, he's the son of God. Uh, and they all testify. And even Jews and people from the nation testify that Christ is a son of God. But there's different characteristics of these gospels uh, where it's found in no other. But we may see similar events, similar miracles in recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke, but all from different perspectives. And uh, that's how God intended uh, the Gospels to be written. Um, and we do get a benefit from looking at these uh, similarities and comparisons. Thanks, Phil. Um, that was good. I think um, it is important to just sort of highlight the um, some of the, the unique things about the Gospels. The fact that we've got four Gospels, I mean, that's that's something pretty unique i guess when when somebody famous lives and dies there are biographies that are written of them um and and people speak about different aspects of of the person um but the gospels are a little bit different to just speaking about um a person who lived and died um they they really um, they're showing out a message, and it's a message from a different aspect. And like I, I said in the intro, the gospel means good news. And when you when you're speaking about um, good news, um, you're speaking it. You're wanting to tell people. You're wanting to reach someone. Um, and so we have four different writers who have written about the Lord Jesus. And no one in the biography um, speaks in such a detailed way um, you know, and, and dwells so long on the death of somebody um, and, a, and a horrific death. To go into that detail um, and to speak about that detail, there's, there's something unique and amazing in, in the, these um, four books. And I'm sure you've all heard analogies of, of why there's four um, but like i i started work at a new company end of last year and i had to go to a, a place called vic barracks victoria barracks and um i was at the my company's office and i had to go to this place and i asked somebody sort of how to get there and they told me you just have to walk up to the end of the street you'll see um wire fence and then you follow the wire fence you find a gatehouse and you can go into that gatehouse and it's the back of, of the building i went there and i followed directions and um it was exactly as they described wire fence and i went into the gatehouse and um, that was the first i'd seen of victoria barracks um since working there for some time now when when i went the first time to the front of the building i couldn't believe it was the same place it is beautiful from the front there's no wire fence it's like blue stone um, there's ivy running up the bluestone um, buildings. They're old buildings. They look absolutely gorgeous. Um, and there's actually two sides of Victoria Barracks that are, are quite, um, like, they're beautiful. Um, they're, um, they stand out. And there are two pretty lowly sides of Victoria Barracks. Um, so if you approach from the back and one of the sides, it doesn't look like much. They're pretty lowly. 
Um, but it, I mean, it's a, it's a very similar sort of way that the Gospels are portrayed. They portray different sides of, of the Lord Jesus. They portray him in, in his person in an exalted way as the king like Rama's introduced to us. Um, Phil's going to speak to us about, about Mark who presents him in a different character than the king. Um, each of the Gospels speak in a, in a different way. Um, the order in which they're written also is, is quite beautiful. I think Mark is the first one written, so I'm just going to turn to Phil and make sure he agrees with that because he's the one presenting on that. Um, I think Mark writes first and then Matthew and then Luke and then John. Um, and if you take them in, in that order, um, Mark begins with the Lord's ministry. Uh, the start of Mark says Jesus being about 30 years old. Um, he begins at the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And then um, Matthew, who writes next, like Ramas told us, he introduces the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. So he goes back before the birth of the Lord Jesus to David, the king who is wanting to introduce even back further to Abraham. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke, when he gives his genealogy, he starts with the birth of the Lord and then goes up, 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 and then back, back, back to not Adam, not Abraham, but Adam. So he goes all the way back to Adam. Um, and then when John writes his gospel, um, he starts even before Adam. Um, he starts um, in the beginning, in eternity um, past. Um, just beautiful portrayals of um, of the Lord Jesus linking back right to um, eternity past, the one who ever existed and the one who came into to time to fulfil the will of God. Mike, I was thinking too about the um, the dates that you gave early on um, of the, the writing of the New Testament and um, how it kind of started about 20 years after the, the death of the Lord Jesus and just thinking how important it was that there was that lapse of time um, at, at the present moment, I'm not inclined at all to read any news articles about Afghanistan because I reckon the, the news reporters don't know what they're talking about. But um, in, in a few weeks, um, or less than a few weeks, I'm sure there will be a lot of articles about what the Americans call 9-11, the, um, the, the attacks on the Twin Towers in New York. And... At the time, those who were reporting didn't know what they were talking about. There was one guy who was reporting on an aeroplane that had flown into one of the towers, and the image on the screen behind him that he could not see was showing a second aeroplane flying into a se the second tower. He had no idea that was going on. He was reporting too soon. And those who, who get involved in trying to report an event before they really understand all the facts, um, they make mistakes, big mistakes. So 20 years on, um, every opportunity had been given to, to cross-check and cross-verify facts, not merely that they were eyewitnesses, but um, the, the understanding of what had gone on and had been developed, of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
and of course during the lifetime of others who could verify or deny what was being said by the writers. Lapse of time, really important. Someone might ask, why wasn't it done straight away? Well, it wasn't done straight away because usually those who attempt to write something straight away historically get facts wrong. But um, within a short space of time, like 20 years after the event, um, the analysis of what had taken place um, kind of occurred. Um, facts can be verified. Witnesses can be consulted. And you can be pretty sure that, um, that everything's right. Um, just a, a general comment in, in regard to that. I think even though uh, um, Mark is the first gospel written um, time-wise, um, Matthew is the first one in the New Testament, and I think that fits nicely because of the way it sort of continues the, the tra it transitions from old to new quite well, linking back to Abraham, linking back to David, the promised Messiah that Israel had been seeking, the one who um, was to be king, like Rum has presented to us. Here he is presented straight away, um, the rightful heir to the throne, that any Jew who um, is seeking would be wanting a, a genealogy, would be wanting to make sure that um, that, that that person linked back to David. They're looking for David's son. And, and here he is presented in Matthew straight away. Um, so the order of, um, of the New Testament, I think, is a really lovely order too. Um, it presents to us first the, the doings of Christ. Like I said, it presents basically Acts 1, uh, 1, the things that he did, and then it transitions into the teaching behind those things. Just on it, on it being the, the, the first book in the New Testament, um, it's something really simple, but something I've always really enjoyed was the way Genesis starts with the book. It's the book of the generations of Adam. And Matthew starts with the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. So the, the, the two, the Old Testament and the New Testament are characteristic. The Old Testament's characteristic of Adam and the New Testament characteristic of Christ. Yeah, that's really nice, Pete. And I, I think they're, they're the only two times that exact phrase is used, aren't they? I think, I think they're the only two times. I like the way, too, that um, Matthew answers the question raised in Isaiah, who shall declare his generation? And Matthew opens with book of the generation of Jesus Christ. And then Mark, um, so Matthew kind of answers Isaiah, and then Mark um, answers Malachi, um, the, um, the, the, the promised um, forerunner spoken of at the end of Malachi um, is, is given to us um, as, as you open Mark's gospel. just wanted to add something to comparing the two books of the generations or the two genealogies. So when you look at the first genealogy with Adam, we see that it's, it gives you the person how long he lived for, and then he died. If you compare that to this genealogy here, we don't see any death. Um, and it's like we there is a comparison between the first Adam and the last Adam, or the second Adam, uh, in that 
there was death with the first Adam, but through the second Adam, there's life. I have a question. We, we know that the Lord Jesus is king. And Ramos was talking about the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to read something interesting that it's written in, in the Gospel of John. Um, and this is uh, regarding the king. And in John 18, Pilate asked a question to the Lord Jesus. And um, it says, are you the king of the Jews? It's a question of Pilate to, to the Lord Jesus. And, and then later on, um, the Lord Jesus answered and said, are you speaking for, well, basically the Lord Jesus is confirming uh, what Pilate says. And then in verse 36 of John 18, it says, um, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And we were speaking about the kingdom of heaven. And we know that the Lord Jesus um, in the future will rule um, here on earth for a thousand years. Um, but it's like sort of, sort of a confusion that I have. Like we were speaking in Matthew of the kingdom of heaven. Um, we know in the future, the Lord Jesus will rule um, and his kingdom will be on earth. Um, we, we know that he will rule in Jerusalem and um, Israel will be gathered together. But it's like, um, I don't know if, if Ramos uh, will help us to remember what is the kingdom of heaven and if this has some, something um, in relation to, uh, to the answer of Jesus to Pilate saying him that his kingdom is not from this world. Um, I, I don't know if uh, that's, that's clear. Someone could correct me if I'm wrong, but I would understand that this verse in John to mean a different kingdom. Um, but so my understanding of the, the term kingdom of heaven is that um, it's not the necessarily um, a kingdom of earthly people who are waiting to go to heaven, but rather um, a kingdom of heaven-bound people who are currently on earth. So it is a current kingdom rather than one that will happen later on. Um, yeah, and I don't know if um, anyone has any anything to add or correct. I think um, you said, Ramas, in your talk that um, the the Magi who came, they said, where is he who was born king? Um, that the king was revealed. Um, we talked about the genealogy um, of Matthew 1. He's the son of David. There's the king. The king's revealed. The king came the king was rejected and so what we have now is the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven comprises not only true believers um, but it has a wider circle than just the true and we read that in the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13 um, so you can see in the kingdom there are wheat and there are tares what characterizes the kingdom now is that the king is rejected um, he was rejected on earth, and when the Lord Jesus spoke to Pilate, that was the climax of his rejection. He is the rightful king, um, and yes, he is the king, and that was the answer to Pilate. Um, and if his kingdom was here, which 
Um, one day it will be. His servants would have fought and he could have called on 12 legions of angels. Um, we know that he, he could have done that. Um, but there is a day when his kingdom will be here. Um, and that's what you referred to, Daniel. So right now we're living in a day um, where the king is absent from earth. The king is in heaven. Um, but one day the king will return and take up his kingdom on earth. And those who are described in Matthew 13 as being part of the kingdom, there are those who are true, there's the wheat, there are those who are false and they're the tares, and they'll be dealt with um, when the king returns. Um, he knows those who are his own, but right now anyone who really professes the name of the Lord um, really professes to be a Christian, is part of a broad um, label that is the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure if that's answered your question, Daniel, but that's just a brief description. And just to quickly add something um, along that line, correct me if I'm wrong, but the it's not a kingdom in heaven. It's a kingdom of heaven, but it's on earth. The kingdom's always on earth. It, it's There's no... The kingdom doesn't exist in heaven. It's a kingdom on earth, but it's of of heaven. Its character is heavenly. Yeah, that's good. And one other point that's probably worth making, that um, one of the verses that Rama has read um, is, very, is, is very striking um, in, in, in that connection. If I, by the spirit of God, cast out demons, then is the kingdom of God in the midst of you. Matthew wrote that. And Matthew normally writes about the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, as, as Mike um, made really clear, commenced when the Lord Jesus was rejected. But whenever the scripture speaks about the kingdom of God, it's emphasizing the presence of one of the persons of the Godhead. And so the kingdom of God still exists now because the spirit of God is here. Because that person of the Godhead is here. We can say that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, like Paul says in, in Romans. So the, the idea of the kingdom has different facets, different aspects, and um, different ways of being spoken about in, in different periods of time. So there's some, a couple of other aspects in Matthew 13, the kingdom of the Son of Man when the Son of Man comes and he deals with all of the offensive things in his kingdom and gets rid of them. It also speaks of the kingdom of their father, the heavenly side of the kingdom where the righteous shine forth as the sun. Um, that's the, the period of time, we would say, during the millennium, the kingdom of the Son of Man when the Lord Jesus is dealing with things on earth, the kingdom of their father when there's the shining from heaven um, in connection with that kingdom on earth, um, reinforcing what Pete said is that the idea of kingdom always relates to earth. 